Listen, if I were to ask you uh, what some of the idols of our culture were, I suspect that what would come to your mind would be things like uh, money, right? Or maybe our houses or our possessions in general or uh, things that we tend to put in the place of God. I, there's one that I think is affected by our uh, text and is talked about in our text this morning in Exodus 16 that uh, I don't know that we always think of it as an idol. But let me let me ask it this way. If you asked six people after church today, hey, how was your week? What do you suspect some of the top words would be if they gave you a one-word answer? Probably busy, uh, tiring, right? I hear that a lot. I think perhaps busyness is one of the idols of American culture. It's, it's like we celebrate the busiest people right? They, they get in their interviews if they're well-known uh, business uh, personalities and talk about how they live on five hours of sleep and they're up at four and they don't go to bed till midnight and they work and we celebrate busyness. We think it's amazing. Now, listen, I'm all for productivity. We ought to be productive people, but we celebrate those who work the hardest and produce the most, which means I have to keep working harder and producing more, right? So we, we create a technology to help us do more and accomplish better in less amounts of time. And we even make things like an Instapot or depending on your generation, a microwave, which I know nowadays, how would we ever live without a microwave? But there was a day without them, and we got them, and we thought, this is amazing. I can get so much more done in so much less time. And so what do we do with the rest of that time? We work harder, we accomplish more, we do more. Everything we develop so that we cannot be so busy just gives us a chance to be busy more hours of the day. I don't have to waste my time being busy with this, so now I can be busy with this over here instead. We sign our kids up for every extracurricular activity we can find. Because if we keep them busy, they won't have time to get into trouble. Right? Exodus chapter 16, the last half of it, beginning in about verse 22, challenges the thinking that we ought to constantly be busy. I want to talk to you today about God's gift of rest. Now, I know some of you already are sitting there thinking, man, if only I had time to rest. Oh, I wish I could have a whole day every week where I had no obligations. Let's talk about it a little bit. I'm going to begin reading from Exodus 16 and verse 22 on the sixth day. Of course, we're picking this up mid-story, right? We talked last week about God's gift of manna to his people. And, and uh, so they had all these days, they gave them just enough, taking Omer to about two quarts for every person in your family. And so they did that. And every day, uh, verse 22 tells us on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two Omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, 
this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow's a day of solemn rest. Now, why did the leaders come and say that? Well, because earlier the people had collected too much. They weren't quite certain God would provide every day, and so they got a little extra. And overnight it bred worms and it began to stink and they couldn't use it. Now the people are doing that on day six and the leaders are like, wait, 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 they're taking too much. Moses said, no, they're supposed to do that on the sixth day. This is what the Lord has commanded, verse 23. Tomorrow's a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will, boil what you will, and the rest, all that's left, lay aside to be kept until the morning. So they laid it aside until the morning as Moses commanded them, and they did not stink, and there were no worms in it. This was the command, right? They were to do this on purpose. Verse 25, Moses said, eat it today, for today's a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you'll gather it, but on the seventh, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. This is a a principle of Sabbath, of resting, that God instituted. In fact, it is based on God's rest. So this is, we're talking about preparation for the Sabbath. It's based on God's rest. You remember the, the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. God created all that there is in six days, and not that he needed six days to create everything. He spoke and everything came into existence, but he did it on six successive days. And then we're told in verse 31 of Genesis chapter 1 that God rested. On the seventh day, God rested from his labors, from all the work that he had done in creation. Why was that? Well, he saw that everything that he had made, behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And chapter 2 begins, and God rested on that seventh day. Why? Why did God rest? If anybody doesn't need to rest, it would be God, right? I mean, he is omnipotent. So the heavens and earth were finished, all the host of them, and God rested on the seventh day. He rested because he was setting a pattern for us. He was resting from all the work that he had done. Didn't wear him out. All he did was speak and everything came into existence. It wasn't exhausting to God, but he was setting us a pattern, which he now carries on here. We're not under the law yet in this part of the scriptures. We haven't gotten to the place where God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy and made the fourth commandment a a thing. This is simply God saying, remember when I rested on the seventh day, I want you to do the same thing. God designed us a rhythm of busy activity punctuated with a day of rest every week. It reminds us to some degree of the completion of creation. God finished what he was doing and he decided I'm going to take a day. It allows us to focus on God more directly. It helps us keep some balance. And so there was preparation in the text. There was preparation for the Sabbath, right? On day six, they were to collect twice as much. 
on day six, they were to go out and make sure they got not only one, not only two quarts per person, one homer, but enough for two days worth, two homers for every person in the household. Collect all of it on that one day. Work hard so you can rest easy on your Sabbath. The Sabbath wasn't used to catch up. Oh, I ran out yesterday. I better get a little extra. It wasn't used to get ahead. You didn't collect two and a half or three omers so that Monday you could still chill out. No, you got your enough for the Sabbath day, the, the, the sixth day, and your Sabbath day. It wasn't anything other than this is our Sabbath. Now, we'll come back around to this in a minute. I don't, I'm not convinced that Sunday is inherently the Christian's Sabbath day. In fact, it seems to me that the Sabbath in the Old Testament didn't even always include worship. It included rest and some time to focus on God. The concept of worship and corporately worshiping is a command in Scripture clearly given, and the New Testament is full of it. But I want you to make the connection between preparing for the Sabbath here in Exodus 16 and the idea of preparing to have your day of rest which for us is, generally speaking, Sunday. How do you prepare for that? There are some, some principles that we're going to talk about here in a minute about the Sabbath and what we should expect when we get there. But before that, I want you to think about how do I prepare for the Lord's Day so it's not crazy? I would ask for a show of hands of who argued with the kids on the way in this morning, but I don't want to do that. Or who felt stressed when they left the house this morning because we're running late, we got to get going, or whatever. I would like to suggest a couple of things. I read a book years ago now uh, called Making Sunday Special. I don't even know if it's still in print. Written by David and Karen Maines. He was a pastor somewhere, I think, in the Midwest. They designed their personal family calendar to run from Monday to Sunday. So they planned everything, starting with Monday on through the weekend, within the anticipation of Sunday coming. By the time Saturday afternoon came, they stopped their activities. It's interesting to me that when the Sabbath for the Israelites became a real thing, it began at 6 o'clock on Friday evening and ran till 6 o'clock Saturday evening. I wonder if that was so that Friday evening they could have some downtime to prepare their minds and hearts for the fact that the Sabbath was coming. I wonder what Sunday would be like if after dinner on Saturday evening we didn't go anywhere, we didn't go out. We took a little time. Just to, just to practice it for myself, I... I got my shirt out and ironed my shirt last evening. I thought that might help tomorrow. Now, I'm usually up early, so I would have had time. Or, I mean, what is one of the things? Hey, hey, mom, where are my shoes? I don't know. Where'd you take them off? Right? I don't know. Why not have those conversations on Saturday evening? Go find your shoes. Put them by the door. Is it possible? that if we would anticipate the coming of the Lord's day, that it might be a little less stressful and therefore just a little bit more restful when it got here. 
just a thought. Secondly, I want you to think about some expectations. This is our expectations of our Sabbath day. Verse 27, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. The Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The Sabbath was different. It was intended to be different. And some of the people were treating it like it was the same as the other six days. It was intended to be different. And they learned that that was intentional. They were to choose to cease from their labors. And it would remind them to look back all the way to creation because that's the pattern God always used. God didn't need to rest from his labors. He chose to cease from his labors. He finished what he was doing by the sixth day, and on the seventh day, he rested. And the pattern was he wanted us to do the same. That would have reminded them also that things now were not perfect. They were perfect. That's why God rested. You know, right, that the Sabbath, before these times, people weren't wiped out all the time. Like Adam and Eve, I mean, especially. Right? What is the thing that takes the most work in your garden? Pulling weeds, right? Until the fall, there weren't any of those. How nice would that be? You plant your stuff, you grow your stuff, maybe water it a little bit, and you get your stuff. The most work you have is picking it. Sin brought all this extra stuff to do. And God said, look at my pattern. I designed a pattern even before the fall that would say you work hard, then you rest. But not only was the Sabbath to be different, it was a gift. By the time we get to the, the, the days of Jesus, it wasn't a gift anymore. It was part of the rules, right? It was part of the regulations. Even Jesus got taken to task by the Pharisees who said, what are you doing picking grain and eating it on the Sabbath? Because they had lots of rules of what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. But God was reminding his people in verse 29, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. It was for their benefit. God's expectations are not designed simply to limit our behaviors. His expectations are given as a gift to us because it works better when we do things the way God intends. It is a gift to slow down and to rest as part of the rhythm of your life. I want to make some application here before we continue in this section, and I want to for that purpose, I want to go to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16, because there's something really, really important for us to understand, and that is this, Christ is our 
rest. That's why I say I'm not fully convinced that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath, so to speak, because Christ fulfilled the law for us. So here's what it says in Colossians chapter 2, and beginning in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Christ is our Sabbath. So all of the Old Testament, the festivals, the sacrificial system, the sequence of the feasts, all of those things, including the Sabbath, were designed to help the Israelites point toward Christ. And when Christ was here, he fulfilled the law for us. So when we come by faith to Jesus, we enter God's rest. We give up trying to work for our salvation. We give up striving to be good enough for God. Instead, we rest on what Jesus did when he kept God's law, when he died on the cross, when he rose again, which sounds amazingly like the gospel, right? Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He lived according to all the dictates of the law. And in doing so, made it possible for us to be righteous. How so? Well, when we come to Christ, we repent of our sin. We believe in the gospel. We believe that Jesus lived the perfect life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. He was buried. And on the third day, he literally came back to life again. When we believe the gospel, God takes that perfect righteousness of Christ, the fulfillment of the law, and he applies it to my account. So that now when God looks at me, looks at my record, he says, he's perfect because he's in Christ. And now I'm a follower of Jesus because I receive Christ. I repent of my sin. I believe in the gospel. I receive Christ. Christ is my rest. But I want to remind you that the idea of rest or of Sabbath is still a valid biblical principle. It's still important because we're not yet at our final rest. So there are some, some riverbanks to think about, right? We're always a little bit afraid of legalism. Some people make lists of rules of things you cannot do. You can't do certain kinds of commerce. Like there, there's a certain generation of us who actually still remember blue laws in this country, right? You couldn't even have your store open on Sunday. I, I remember moving to a, a small community years ago that there was a store in town, a grocery store in town that was not open on Sunday because our culture had this idea that we ought to honor the principles of God. So those are gone, of course, and we, we go out and there, but there are other people. I mean, I've, I've talked to people, no, 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 we're not going to even go out to eat because those people shouldn't be working on Sunday. So they go home and let their wife work instead and make dinner, right? So there is always the fear of legalism. We're going to set up rules around this thing. We don't want, you know, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do sports. You can't, whatever you decide are the rules. And on the flip side, we can treat it as though, well, that's under the old covenant. So that doesn't matter at all. So let's forget all about it. 
we don't want to be tyrannized by men's laws when, in fact, God's laws are for our benefit. In fact, what did Jesus say when the Pharisees took him to task? He said, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. God gave this as a gift to you. So the principle of rest is still important, and when we dismiss God's weekly gift of rest, I think we're violating a principle that is intended to help us remember, remember what God has done and remember that there's something else yet coming. So let me give you a couple of practical handles before we, before we finish up and move uh, toward the end of this. Number one, as a biblical principle, I think you should use your Sabbath to rest. You should chill out a little bit, right? We, we don't do that well. We feel like, like we're lazy. Now, listen, I understand there are some people that just are, right? They don't do anything all week long. So why do they need a Sabbath? Like, okay, you might know a few people like that. But the reality is we have a hard time just resting. I feel like I ought to be doing something, right? Don't you just feel bad sometimes? But you might have the constitution to be busier than other people. I have friends who live on like four and five hours of sleep a night. And I'm like, are you crazy? I need, I need a good seven. I know people that need eight or nine. Okay, whatever. We're all built a little differently. But even if you are up the sort that's like, man, I just love to go. I'm, I'm hair on fire going 100 miles an hour all the time. It is important that we choose to rest because God didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because it was important to take time to rest. Maybe it's for the benefit of the people immediately around me, maybe in my family who need to rest and need my presence. Use it to rest. Use it to reflect. As I said, in the New Testament, it is obvious that God intends for us to meet together corporately to worship. We do that on Sunday because a lot of people don't work on Sundays. That less true now than it used to be, but still, for the most part, we can get Sundays free. And so we meet together to worship corporately. We ought to do that. I think there are ways we can set it up so that's not so stressful. And then we can rest. It's one of the reasons, honestly, that Coastal doesn't meet Sunday morning and again on Sunday night and again on Wednesday. We're not asking you to come to church constantly to make it part of the busyness of your life. We make it so let's get together, let's worship. And then use it to refresh. According to Colossians 2 that we read earlier and to Romans chapter 14, there is some discretion for you, right? You have some freedom and some liberty as to how you use your day of rest. If you choose to be active, just don't do it to the point that you're so tired that now you can't head into your work week refreshed. So rest, reflect, refresh. But then I want to look at these last few verses, and then I want to close the service out a little differently this morning. Beginning in verse 31, we're talking about the issue of preservation. Now, the house of Israel called its name manna. We talked about that last week. It means, what is it? It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. 
And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar, and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept through your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan, and Omer is worth a tenth part of an ephah. And if we used those measures, that would mean something to us. So it's about two quarts or so. They were to keep it so they would remember. They would keep it, they would keep this jar of manna, one person's manna for a day, that amount, they kept it so they would remember that God fed them every day for 40 years without fail and gave them enough on the sixth day so that they could have adequate to keep it for the seventh day. God fed them every day. He kept it. They kept it so that they would remember, remember God's provision and remember God's promise that there was a rest to come. So for all, during all of those 40 years, they kept it to remember that God would, had, was providing for them and to remember that he promised them a rest to come. But they also kept it then after they were in Canaan and after they had settled, they kept it so they wouldn't forget. So they wouldn't forget what God had done. They were, while they were in the wilderness on a spiritual journey, somewhere between when they were redeemed from bondage in Egypt and when they would settle in the promised land. Somewhere along that journey, and sometimes life in the wilderness, like we talked about last week, tends to make us forget. It tends to get us distracted. And we forget what God has done. So I want to use a very practical illustration of this this morning, and we're going to celebrate communion together. Because I want to remind you that we are somewhere between our redemption from the bondage of sin and our future home in heaven, our permanent rest. We're in the wilderness of life. And these elements, the communion table, is one of the things God has given us to remember. So how do we remember? We, we look backward. We look at what Jesus has done for us. We remember what he accomplished through his sinless life, through his death and his burial and resurrection. And these, these elements with this little wafer and this little cup of juice remind us of the broken body of Christ and the shed blood of Jesus. They're designed to remind us. They're not designed to refresh us. They're designed to just be a remembrance. This is what Jesus did. It's also designed to cause us to want to look inward. The Israelites had troubles on and off throughout their wilderness wanderings. In fact, it wouldn't have been 40 years if a whole generation of them had not said, oh, we can't do this. We can't go into the land yet. We can't handle this. Every time they saw that manna, it would remind them, Man, I got to make sure my heart is not rebelling against the Lord. Every time I come to the Lord's table, it's a chance for me to look in and make sure it's clean and clear between me and God. And it gives me a chance to look forward 
There's a day coming. There's a rest coming in the future. In fact, Jesus once said to his disciples during the the Last Supper, that last evening they had together, he said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I do it with you in my Father's kingdom. There is a sense of anticipation. Every time we hold a communion service, every time we make it part of what we're doing, that we're looking forward to the day that we will be face-to-face, in person with Jesus, who is currently our rest, but at our final rest. We talk about a final resting place. Listen, that is not your grave. If you're a follower of Jesus, your final rest is the kingdom of God forever and ever. And we're in the wilderness, somewhere between our redemption from slavery to sin and our final promised resting place. So the team's going to come on up, and they're going to play quietly, and I want to encourage you to spend some time focusing your attention on your own heart. Now, you might be here this morning, and you might have never trusted in Christ. That that talk that I gave about the gospel and how that we, uh, we, uh, we have to come and repent of our sin and trust in Jesus, believe in him, believe the gospel, receive Christ— Maybe that's never happened to you. I want you to know this is not designed for you, and this will not accomplish anything for you. This doesn't help you get closer to God. This isn't a a thing to do to check off the list. This is an opportunity to remember. So if you're here and that's never happened to you, man, this could be the first time you celebrate communion, though. You could, as you sit right here listening to me, without anybody knowing what's going on in your heart, you can talk to God and say, oh God, I get it. I know I'm a sinner. I know because of that, I don't get to go to heaven because only perfect people go to heaven. And I know I'm not perfect, but I know Jesus is perfect and I want to go because I'm in him. So I'm repenting of my sin. I'm believing in the gospel and I'm receiving Christ. If you do that right now, God will take your sin and consider it as applied to Jesus when he was on the cross, and he will take all of that perfect righteousness of Christ and consider it as applied to your account. So now when he looks at you, he sees you as perfectly righteous. That's amazing. That makes this a celebration, right? So we're going to take a few minutes. And uh, we're going to do a little differently this morning. We're going to invite you to come when you feel like you're ready and your, your heart is prepared. Come on up here and uh, take the elements. You can kind of stand up here. Maybe you want to come with your small group or your family, whatever, and stay together and pray over it and take it. We're going to take about 10 minutes, okay, and give you plenty of time. If you need someone to come and take this and, and get it and bring it back to you, we will make sure to facilitate that and help you out. We'd love to do it. So, Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray briefly, and then I want to just kind of let's quietly, prayerfully get our hearts ready. The team's going to play. And then after a little bit, when they feel like we've kind of gotten this accomplished together, we're going to sing uh, before we close our service. All right? Father, thank you for, for this important reminder. We're here on, on our day when we have set it aside for you. And uh, Lord, I, I really long for this to be a powerful time for us as we remember what Jesus did as we look inside and make sure that our hearts are clean and, and uh, that we're uh, confessed up as far as our sin is concerned. Lord, I pray for the one here that maybe doesn't know Jesus, but maybe even while I was talking, prayed to receive Christ. Lord, I'm grateful for that. Uh, but I pray then as we think about the future, 
Lord, what a, what a glorious hope we have as believers. So may this time be a wonderful time of remembrance as we focus our attention on you for asking Jesus' name. Amen.